Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, um, in the church life, we have a lot of terms in, in Christianity that we use. And they call it, was it, Christine, Christie. You know, like you have these, all these fancy words and it's all Christian-y. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for, Christian-y. And um, for, the, for, for sometimes, lay people don't understand. And now I understand as believers, uh, there are some things that the Bible says that they cannot see. Because the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. But for all the believers, and as much as is possible, I think we need to, um, I mean, we've got some old English words and stuff like that. And I thank God for the many, many modern translations and, um, um, that they are out there. Um, and, you know, with a prayer that they don't depart away from the truth. But I think it is, it is, it's helpful when we can make things a little bit simpler and a little thing, things a little bit clearer. Because this issue of righteousness, and us being made a righteousness of God in Christ, is the very reason why Jesus came. It is the very reason for the sacrifice of Christ. It is the very reason for, the, for it all. Amen. The whole, the gospel is the power of God on the salvation because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So we have all these terms, and, and, and these terms, they're important, sometimes even vital. You know, we got words like propitiation. I mean, how about that one? <laughs> you know, propitiation and sanctification and redemption and remission of sins and, and the sacrifice of Christ. And I mean, these terms are could really, you know... And then there is righteousness. What is righteousness? And yet, at the same time, even though it may not be necessarily clear, it's of the utmost importance that we need to understand. And the Bible says, in all you get in, get what? Understanding. We've got to be able to understand it so that we can walk it out. Proverbs chapter 11, and I believe verse 4 says, Righteousness is so awesome, and this is my paraphrase, that it delivers even from death. Psalms 103 verse 19 says, The kingdom of God rules over all. God's system, God's government, God's way of doing things, God's operation rules over all. You wouldn't doubt that for a minute, would you? Right? The kingdom of God rules over all. But it also says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 that, they, that, that, they, that, they, that righteousness is what activates the kingdom. Now, if the kingdom of God has such power and, and rules over all, what good is it to you and to me if we can kick that kingdom into motion, if we can activate that kingdom? Well, righteousness is what sets the kingdom of God in motion. Amen? Isn't that right? No wonder Jesus would say in Matthew 6, 33, that if you and I would seek first and pursue the kingdom of God and righteousness, Everything else will be added on to us. He said you can live in that arena of just pursuing righteousness and the kingdom of God, and there's stuff you won't even have to pray about. It's just going to get added on to you. Amen? So this stuff is of, a, of, of the utmost importance. Of course, righteousness is of the utmost importance. Hebrews 5 verse 14 says that we are to become skilled in the word of righteousness, which means we have to become skilled and proficient in functioning in this arena. Amen? Now this whole, so that is why we got to understand this stuff so that we can walk it out. God feels that this issue of righteousness is so important and to him, us being righteous and walking our righteousness, in righteousness was so critical that he decided he's not going to leave it to chance. He's not going to leave it up to, uh, you know, for us to figure it out and, 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 and for us to make ourselves righteous. He made Jesus to be sin for you and I so that you and I would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He says, I'm not going to take any chances about this. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to send my son to the cross, have him die, bury, resurrected, etc., etc., shed his blood, be made sin so that I could make them my very own righteousness. But what does that mean? What does that mean? That he would make us his very own righteousness. So whatever his righteousness is, that's what he has made us. Amen? And he, want, he says in Philippians 3 verse 9 that we are to be found in Christ. When he comes looking for you, 
He don't want to find you out there somewhere in the spirit of the world. No, he want, to, he want you to be found in Christ, not operating on your works, but to be found in Christ, having his righteousness. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Philippians 3.9. Amen? Jesus, the Bible says, by that one man offense, by the offense of Adam, death came upon all men. However, Jesus, when he went to the cross, and, 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 and to his obedience, even unto death, by his obedience, what happened? We are now in a place where we are able to receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And reign in life through Jesus Christ. The gift of righteousness. It is a gift. This is Christmas time. And we have a lot, you know, there's a lot of gift giving. And of course, we talk about the fact that God gives the, the most wonderful gift, which is his son, which is, you know, Jesus born in a manger, and, and, and so on. And Jesus is God's gift, gift to the world, which he is. Jesus is God's gift to the world. I heard something I never heard before. <coughs> I've heard this before, that Jesus, God so loved the world, that he gave Jesus, that Jesus is the gift to the world, and that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. But I just heard Jesus is God's gift to the world, but through Jesus, righteousness is his gift to us. You see, even though the sinner, even though we may remit their sins and, and walk in love and forgiveness and, and so on and so forth and see them through the blood, they are not made righteous until they believe. Are you with me? Which means whatever righteousness is, they are not. If righteousness is the nature of God, then they are not. If righteousness is Christ and anointing, then they are not. Are you with me? If righteousness is right standing with God, then they are not in right standing with God. If righteousness is the authority of God, then the sinner does not have that authority. If righteousness is having the rights and the privileges of sonship and the promises, then the sinner does not have those rights. Are, are you hearing me? If righteousness is oneness with God, then the person that is not born again is not righteous. What am I saying? Jesus is God's gift to the world so that as we believe in Jesus, he can give the gift of righteousness to believers. Amen. Hallelujah. But you got to receive this righteousness. You got to believe this righteousness. You gotta walk in this righteousness. And quite frankly, we need to mature to the point where we become established in this righteousness. Amen? Alright, so we need to get this. Say, I gotta get this. I wanna understand this. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, and I believe verse 1, it says, Through wisdom a house is built. But it is through understanding that it becomes established. And then by knowledge, its rooms are filled with plenty. But it's true understanding that it's established. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says, In all you're getting, get what? Make sure you get understanding. So we want to get an understanding. We want to get a comprehension of righteousness. So let's walk down a few pathways so as to get a, a greater comprehension of righteousness, but yet in a manner that is simple. Amen? I'm going to start off by saying this. Righteousness is now okay you you wait for me let's come over here <laughs> I, I i've said on, on many occasions that you know there, there's these four comprehensions of righteousness oneness with god and the authority the authority that we, as sons the, the rights and privileges we have as sons and right standing amen and that's all wonderful but let me let me let me let me sir, let me come at it from a different perspective and let me say this. Righteousness is acceptance before God. It's acceptance. Total, perfect acceptance. As acceptable as Jesus is before the Father, so acceptable are you. As acceptable as God is to himself, that's how acceptable you are. Say, I'm acceptable. Now, you see, here was Saul. That was Paul that was previously Saul. And, 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 and he went about, um, I mean, he was zealous and he was, he was persecuting the early, the early church. He was getting them, I mean, he was, he was there 
with papers to, to arrest them and throw them in jail. He had had um, Stephen stoned. And, and I mean, he was reaping havoc for the believers. His name was, I mean, he was like a, he was a major terrorist. Are you with me? Yeah. You talk about being beheaded and stuff, man, he was behind that stuff. His news, I mean, hearing that, hearing that he, that, that you, your name is on his list was not a very encouraging thing. Wouldn't make you sleep quiet at night. But then you see what happened. He got saved and he got born again. And before God, God washed away his sins so that before God, he could now approach God with boldness and confidence as if he has never, ever, ever been sold. As if he's never done anything wrong. And that so, that, that, that so permeated him that one time he said, I have wronged no man. That's how much he was able to forget those things which are behind and identify in the fact that he was a new creature and creation and that he was totally acceptable. Now, but however, when he went after he got saved and everything else and he was preaching here, here and there and then he decided to head up to Jerusalem. But when the folks in Jerusalem heard that, 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 that Paul, who was Saul, is coming, I mean, they're like, hey, you know, I'm not so sure about this. I hear about that salvation business that he got born again, but I don't accept that. And I mean, Barnabas had to make a case for him and say, hey, man, this guy is for real. I've heard him. You need to receive him. And eventually, the turner, the, 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 the position changed, and they accepted him. Isn't that right? They accepted him as a brother. Remember when Anais went and prayed for him? Anais came to him and said, Brother Saul, God has sent me for you to receive the Holy Ghost and to receive your sight. Isn't that right? And they called him Brother Saul. They accepted him as if he had never, ever done anything wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but you must have had situations in your life where, 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 where things have been hurtful, things have been, you know, I, I remember uh, in my own life a situation where, where, where there, was, there was some betrayal, there was some character assassination and, and, and whatever it is, and so that my, my image was, was distorted and smeared and everything else. And from a natural standpoint, I, you know, I felt like revenge. I felt like, man, hey, I, I, I want nothing more to do with you. I'm cutting you off and blah, 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 blah et cetera, et cetera. But then you see, that, I might have been in that place for a while, feeling wounded and hurt and so on and so forth. But then somehow the force of righteousness got through to me. And the blood began to speak to me. And then next thing you know, I was able to shift into a place of what? Of, of accepting. Accepting as if nothing was ever done wrong. Not holding anything against you. And, and so I say all of that sort of to emphasize, no matter what you've ever done, no matter where you come from, if you were the mass murderer or whatever else it might have been, once you are born again, you are made righteous, which means what? God says you are totally, completely acceptable in my sight. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, just to hear this from the word. Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 18. It says... He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. When you hear firstborn, is there a possibility that there might be a secondborn, yes. and a thirdborn, yes. and a thousand and one born? Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know what number you are, <laughs> but he didn't finish with the firstborn, amen? You and I have been born again from the dead, from the spiritual dead, haven't we? But Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might be have preeminence. That in everything he might be the first. He might stand first and be preeminent. Because you see, it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. That in him all of the totality of the divine perfection and powers and attributes should dwell in him. Hold that phrase for a moment. All the attributes and the divine per perfection and power that all of it would dwell in Christ. That was the will of the Father. That's what God chose. Now when you think about all of the power, all of the divine power, all of the divine attributes, all of the divine perfections are all in Christ. And then later on you find out that Christ is your righteousness. And then you find out that Christ 
is your life. That tells me that all of the divine perfection and power and attributes are in you when you are made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, if that's what God sees, how can you not be acceptable before him? Are you with me? All right, so let's continue here. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all to himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled you. He has reconciled you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the body of his flesh. How? Through death. Through that sacrifice. What for? Why did he do that? So as to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Verse 22 says that the reason why God sent Jesus to the cross is so that in, his, in the body of his flesh, through death, through that sacrifice, you might now be presented to God as holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. To present you holy, faultless. Say, I'm faultless. I am irreproachable. I am holy in his sight. That's righteousness. That's being acceptable. Say, I'm accepted. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says, um, it says that, let me read it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says, that he had made us accepted in the beloved. Why? Verse 7. In him, in Christ, you have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins that was according to the riches of his grace. Aren't you glad that your forgiveness of sins is not according to your ability to receive it? Aren't you glad that God has forgiven you not based on how much revelation and how much understanding you have or how much you are able to forgive somebody else? Mm. No, you, you, I mean, I, there is a place for that, but you'll go there another time. But his riches, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How much forgiveness is that? That's the reason why. Say, I'm accepted. Amen. Hallelujah. It is a gift. By one man offense, death reigned by one. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign. In life, this life. How? Through Christ Jesus. Which means what? By virtue of what Jesus has done. Because of the sacrifice. Because of the sacrifice, what? By one man's offense, death reigned by one. So that they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, how? Through him, by virtue of the sacrifice. It's that sacrifice that made righteousness and the abundance of grace available to you. But you got to still receive it. You got to still recognize it. You got to walk it out. You got to develop it. You got to become established in it. It's already yours. It's a gift. Romans chapter 3, 24 calls it justification, which means what? Just as if sin has never been. Righteousness made simple. I'm accepted. God deals with me as if sin has never existed. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Romans chapter 4, let's, let's let the word do some talking. Romans chapter 4. Hallelujah. Verse 24. It says, to whom it was imputed, okay, let me just, okay, to whom it was imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, the Amplified says, um, righteousness standing acceptable to God. And then verse 5, who has delivered for our offenses and was raised up for our justification. Who was betrayed, put to death because of our misdeeds. But he was raised to secure your justification. He was raised up from the dead so as to secure 
God's legal right to treat you as if sin has never been justification. Our acquittal, making our accounts balanced and absolving us from all guilt before God. So, for that reason, righteousness includes and is sometimes defined as right standing with God. Which means what? No guilt. Say no guilt. If there is no sin, why should there be guilt? No guilt. No shame. Amen? And don't forget, I mean, you are the righteousness of God. You are, you are holy without blame in His sight. What does it matter what somebody else thinks? Say, I'm without shame. The old is gone. The past is gone. You see, even if it's something you did while as a believer, the blood, amen, it's gone. And as you said, what? There is now no condemnation. And you can come boldly to the throne of grace. So there is no shame, no guilt, no insecurity, no condemnation. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. God loves you, and God says, I love you so much. My love is made perfect in this regard, that I've made you just as Jesus is, and I can deal with you just as I would Jesus. This way, you can have boldness and confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are you in this world. Here it is the love of God made perfect. That he made you just as Jesus and sees you that way. Say, I'm accepted. So, in this place of righteousness, automatically, there is no consciousness of sin. There's not God wants us to come in a place where we are not even aware of any sense of separation from him. Amen? That's why Jesus came. The problem with the bulls and the goats and the blood of bulls and goats, I mean, it was nothing more than an IOU. It was an atonement. It was only covering the problem. It didn't fix it. And every time, I don't know, how many of you got a credit card? Amen? Using the credit card, it's still not paid for. You're only covering it. <laughs> Amen? So every time, I mean, every time you use a credit card, you ought to be reminded, I owe, I owe, I owe. <laughs> So every time there was the blood of bulls and goats, it was reminding God, there is death, there is death, there is death. They still owe. This problem still exists. But when the blood of Jesus came on the scene, guess what? It remitted it and it wiped it all out. So now I'm accepted. So I'm accepted. And there is to be no, that is why as you grow in righteousness, you have to come to that same place as Paul. Where Paul says, I've wronged no man. I forgot those things which are behind. I am found in him, not having my own righteousness based on my own doings, but I have the righteousness which is of God, and I am found in him. I will only boast in the cross by which the word has been crucified to me and I unto the world. We've got to be in that place. No consciousness of any sense of separation. If I show up, if I show up, God show up. Because we're together. Amen? Hallelujah. So God deals with you and I as he would Jesus. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 16, 23 and 24, he says, up until now, you used to come and pray to me, but you don't have to come pray to me anymore. I don't have to do your praying for you. The Father himself loves you. You go to the Father, and in my name, whatever you shall ask the Father, in my name, he'll give it you. He'll grant it to you. That your joy may be full. Go to the Father directly. In my name, presenting everything that I am. Go to the Father in my name as if you were me. Because the truth of the matter is, it's my life that is now in you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus said, Father, I pray that show them, show them that you love them as much as you love me. John 17, 23. Amen? Say, I'm accepted. Righteousness made simple. God, you are acceptable. Totally. Now, righteousness is also the character of God. It is the very essence of his being. Animals, and you know, of course, the glory of God is the sum total of all that he is. But then again, the Bible says in Hebrews 2 verse 10 that Jesus came to bring many sons to what? To the glory. To the very essence of God's being and the, and the very essence of who he is. In him, we have, Jesus said, the glory you've given me, Father, I've given them. 
What for? That they might be one, even as you and I are one. So righteousness is also the character and the essence of God. The very same way we could be say in 1 John 4, 8, that God is what? God is love. Well, 1 John 2, 29, I'm just going to rattle them off. 1 John 2, 29, 1 John 3, 7, Exodus 9, 27, all says that God is righteous. Ezra 9, verse 15, God is just. He is rigidly just. He is perfectly righteous. Psalm 7 verse 9 calls him the righteous Lord. Say God is righteous. It is the very essence of his being. It is his very character. Now, what is God's character? If righteousness is God's character, and by the way, it is your character too. Your born again character. The Bible says that you were created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24 so what is God's character? What is God like? What is he like? Because however he is, that's how you are. If you find out the character of God, you are finding out how you, what, what, what makes you up on the inside of your spirit. If you find out the character of God, and righteousness is his character, when you find out the character of God, you are finding out the, the character of your born again spirit. That is why Jesus says, when you behold, as in the glass, the glory of the Lord. What are you beholding? The glory of the Lord. You are transformed and changed from glory to glory into the same image that you see. Because you, 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 you we behold, we look into that mirror. What for? To see what, I'm look, what, I, what, what it is, what I'm, li I'm like on the inside here. But when I look into the mirror, what I'm to see is the glory of the Lord, because that is what I like on the inside here. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Have you ever seen the back of your head? Hmm? Somebody could tell you about it. <laughs> but the only way you're going to see the back of your head is you're going to need some kind of mirror. Amen? Well, how, how, how can you see inside your spirit what it looks like? You need a mirror of the word of God. Amen? And what it reveals is Christ, his glory, his excellence, the majesty of God. Hallelujah. That's who you are. God is gracious. Is God merciful? Is God merciful? Yes. Well, so are you. That's part of your righteousness. Is God just? Does God fear? Does God have justice? But that's part of your spiritual makeup. That's part of the, the DNA of this righteousness that is in you. Is God a God of truth? Does he have integrity? Well, what does that say about the nature that is inside of you? You, that's who you are. Amen? Say, I'm righteous. You see, righteousness is all of the above. The truth, the justice, the power, the graciousness, the mercy, all of it. Hallelujah. Now, let me, let me, let me say this. Is God love? Is God love? Well, if God is love and God is righteous, could it be that righteousness and love are, 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 are almost twins? Almost identical twins? Listen to this. 1 John 4, 18 says, Perfect love does what? Drives out fear. What does that love that is perfect? And all right? All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give this to. I can't eat. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, sometimes I see things and they, you know, I've got my mom preaching. I need to stay up here. Sorry. Hallelujah. Perfect love does what? Cast out fear. Now, perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. That's 1 John 4 18. Isaiah 54, verse 14 says that in righteousness you shall be what? Established. And you will be far from oppression because you shall not fear. So as you establish in righteousness, no fear. Establish in righteousness, no fear. Perfect love, no fear. Can you see the parallel? Can you see the parallel? Now, love, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, well, okay, let's just pause here. Does it say love never fails? Yes. Love never fails. 
But it says righteousness delivers even from death, which means it doesn't fail. Because after all, it activates the kingdom, and the kingdom rules over all. Isn't that right? Yeah. Now, if that is so, we can make this part of it with love and righteousness. May I encourage you to go get some scriptures on righteousness and put love in there. Get some scriptures with love and put righteousness in there. And see what else you're going to come up with. Faith working by what? That's it? Faith working by love. That means faith must work from a place of righteousness. Think about it. Elijah, a man with like issues like us. He said that it's not going to rain. And he said that the Lord is at my right hand. And from that place, recognizing his oneness with God, he declared certain things and it happened. He called fire down. Isn't that right? And referring to that incident, it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It makes much power available that is dynamic in its working and is referring to Elijah. Why? Because of, even though Elijah had his own little fears and anxiety, but once he operated in that oneness with God, boom, power. Amen? So why did Elijah, would you say Elijah operated in great faith? But what was the secret to his faith? Righteousness. What about the Hebrew boys that I think it was that was thrown into the fire or or was it or Daniel? Oh, oh yeah, it was Daniel when he was showing the lines there. What did Daniel say? The God who I serve will deliver me. Didn't he say that? Where does that kind of faith come from? Because he knew he had a covenant. David. David said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine with his big self that I can't miss? <laughs> who does he think he is? Does, is there not a cause? In other words, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that don't have a covenant? He says, he's coming with me with all this, with all of this sword and all of that. But look, I got God. I am in covenant with God. The essence of covenant is righteousness. And that is where David's faith comes from. It was because of righteousness. Turn with me to Job chapter 33. Do you know sometimes people can deal with some severe physical infirmities. Some people can be even at the point of death. Doctors telling them that this is incurable. They're living in a place of constant pain, etc., etc. Is there a way out? Look at Job chapter 33 just for a moment. Just stay with me for a bit. What I'm saying here is that even as faith working by love, faith also works by righteousness. Amen? In fact, I'll tell you something. One of the secrets of faith has to do with righteousness. Anyway, Job 33, let's pick it up in about verse 19. This, describing this person that is in this physically difficult health place. It says, he is chastened also with pain, verse 19, upon his bed. And the multitude of his bones with strong pain. So that his, his life, he's even at such a point that his life abhors bread. He, you know, we're, we're, have you ever been so feeling nauseated or something like that, you even, don't even have a desire to eat. Where people can become so sick that they don't even, even the thought of food makes them want to throw up. Amen? That's why I sometimes think about becoming a vegetarian, but anyway, leave that alone. <laughs> but even the thought, they abhor the thought of bread, and their soul abhor, or they hate the, 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 the um, dainty meats. Their flesh is consumed away. Have you, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have, unfortunately, where someone is dying of cancer, and they're beginning to lose weight and weight, and they, and they become skin and bones. So that their bones, their flesh is consumed away, that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen, they now stick out. Yet yeah, his soul draws near to the grave, and his life to the destroyers. Now you can imagine what kind of report the doctors are giving him. How many days and how many weeks or whatever he has left. Verse 23. Now if there, but then look at verse 23. If there be a messenger, if there be someone, a messenger that is with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, that can show unto that man 
His righteousness. Now you can take it either way. If there's somebody that can come and show the man God's righteousness, which would include his mercy, which would include his kindness, which would include the sacrifice of Christ, or if he can show that man his righteousness, the rights that he has as a result of trust in the finished work of Christ. Either way, if he can somehow see God's righteousness that is now his, then God, verse 24, will be gracious to him and will deliver him from going down to the pit because what? I have found a ransom. God says, I'm going to raise him up. How much? Verse 25. So that his flesh shall become fresher than a child, and he shall return to the days of his youth. You know, we have that scripture that says, I put it in Psalms 103. Or oh, we have one, my youth is renewed as an eagle, and I shall run and not be weary. And then there's another one in Psalms 103 uh, regarding that. But this one says, but not just your, you, not just your youth being renewed, you return into the days of your youth and your flesh becoming fresher than a child. Mm. Isn't that awesome? But what caused this? How, how could somebody at such a point, such a low point physically, be raised up and totally restored because of the revelation of righteousness? Righteousness. Amen? So what am I saying? This right faith works by righteousness. Abraham... <laughs> Look at Abraham. Was Abraham a man of faith? But after you see, why did Abraham have such faith that he could take his couple little soldiers and the servant, just his own servants and go out and fight and defeat five kings? You know why? Because he had a confidence in the covenant that he had. He had that righteousness consciousness. And God says his faith was counted for righteousness. Amen? Hallelujah. So, there is, so there's, so there's, there's, there's the righteousness that speaks about acceptance. Then there is a, and, and, and there's the righteousness that is the very character of God and all that God is. And you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And, you, and, and because it is God's character, then righteousness is, is somewhat um, uh, interchangeable with love. Righteousness is love. If you're going to live in oneness with God, then you've got to walk in love. There is no choice. Amen? Righteousness is also Christ himself. If you get lost in the midst of it all, trying to figure it out, just look at Jesus. Just look at him. Is he under guilt? Is he dealing with shame? Is condemnation heaped up upon him? Right? You know, I mean, does he have any sense of separation from the Father? Or is he anointed? Look at Christ. Christ, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, Christ is made unto you wisdom and righteousness. Christ is righteousness. So you can understand your righteousness just by looking at Jesus. Does Jesus operate? Does he have authority? Righteousness is authority. The authority and the life that is ours through the name of Jesus. John 20, 21. Amen? Jesus says, the work that I do shall you do also. Because what? I've gone to the Father. Hallelujah. Christ, the wisdom of God, the power of God, Christ. Who, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the anointed one. The son of the living God. Christ is sonship. Christ is the anointing. Christ is righteousness. Amen? Christ is righteousness. And because Christ is anointing, righteousness affects anointing. Because Christ is sonship, son of the living God, therefore, righteousness is connected to, that, to, that, to, 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 to your sonship. That's why the Bible says, you know, it says, um, all of creation is waiting to see the manifestation of the sons of God. That's an impossibility without believers being established in righteousness. Thank God it's going to, they're going to be established in righteousness, or else that scripture will never be fulfilled. But we will be established. Amen? Say, it's happening even now. Christ is our, the Bible says, Colossians 3, verse 3, and for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ, we are in God. And when Christ who is your life, 
So what is righteousness? Christ. What is righteousness? The character of God. What is righteousness? Acceptance. Perfect, total acceptance. As Christ is, so are you in this world. Righteousness is also oneness with God. Say oneness. As he is, so are we in this world. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 21, that they may be one. How? As thou. You see, many times people think Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that they might be one, even as we are. And people just pray that they might be one, and they think that Jesus was simply saying that the body of Christ, that we will all be one and in unity. Yes, we need to be one and be in unity. We are members of each other. That is true, but it is by no means limited to that. Listen to this verse. That they all may be one. How? As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That's how I want them to be one. Are you with me? So righteousness is this oneness with God. That they all may be one in us. And the world will believe that you sent me. The only way the world is going to believe is when we are operating and functioning in that oneness. Because the works that he do, we are going to do also and greater works than he. Amen? Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, because righteousness is oneness, out of that, therefore, if it's oneness, and we look at Christ and we see our righteousness, then righteousness has to include right standing. Amen? Amen. And all that that is. It has to include authority. It has to include the rights of sonship. Amen? All right? Now, let's understand this. So, when you see that, and you see this is why Jesus came. This is why God sent his son. This is why all is so that we might be made righteous. Then it is, it, it is without a doubt, it is absolutely God's will for you to be righteous and to be established in righteousness. Amen? Hallelujah. The Bible, it says, that, it says that, so of course, in righteousness you shall be established and so on. Isaiah 54, 14. But listen to this verse. Would, I, would you argue over the fact that it is the will of God that we should be rooted and grounded in love? You wouldn't argue about that, would you? Well, it's the same way righteousness is concerned. Love, righteousness. That verse actually begins with Christ, that Christ might dwell in your heart by faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in the love of God, may be able to comprehend. That Christ might dwell in your heart by faith. Isn't Christ righteousness? So what is it saying? That Christ, that righteousness will dwell, not just in your spirit, but even in the soul chamber of your heart, by faith that our righteousness will take you over and you'll be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And righteousness and love go together. Does that make sense? Amen? So what am I saying? I'm saying beyond any shadow of a doubt, it is God's will for you to be established in righteousness, for you to be skilled in operating in this oneness with him, for you to be so proficient in being in this place where you're free from guilt and shame and condemnation and insecurity and fears and all of that stuff. Hallelujah. So, God wants you to walk even as Jesus walked. It says, if you say you abide in him, 1 John 2, 6, then you ought to walk as he walked. You ought to believe as he believed. Does he believe he was righteous? Does he believe that him and the Father are one? Did he believe he has authority over devil? Does he believe he got the keys? <laughs> Amen? 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 Hallelujah. So, now let me just make one other point just as, as, as I as we heading for this landing here. So, obviously it's God's will you should be established and he wants you established in righteousness. Now, the revelation of the sacrifice, what Jesus did, is what will cause you to be established in righteousness. You are righteous in your spirit, but you need to become rooted, grounded, planted, established in it. What do you mean the revelation of the sacrifice will cause you to be established in righteousness? How can you 
Help me to see that quickly. Okay, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> well, we know the sacrifice is Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his shed blood, his life in us, his name, the authority of that name, and the great and precious promises, or, or the rights. Well, here's, here's how come the revelation of the sacrifice will cause you to be established in that oneness, in that right standing, etc., etc. When you, but here, now this is so critical. The revelation of righteousness, if you only have the part of what Jesus did, how he died, how he was buried, how he was, how he was resurrected and ascended and shed his blood, if that's the only part of righteousness you have, it will not cause you to become established in that oneness. You must have the revelation of the other side of the sacrifice, which is your part and participation in everything that Jesus did in the sacrifice. All right, watch this. You must therefore recognize what? That you were crucified and buried with Christ so that you can get rid of the old you. Aren't you glad? You've got to recognize I was crucified, I was buried in him, so that that old me is now gone. And I was also resurrected and ascended with him, and I've been given his life as my very own life. And I have been washed by his blood, which brings me into a place of Perfect right standing. No guilt, no shame, no insecurity, etc., etc. And that shed blood that perfects me forever places me in this new covenant. And in this new covenant where he is everything to me and in me. He becomes my strength. He becomes my wisdom. He becomes my joy, my peace. He becomes my everything. Amen? The blood produces that. And so I have his life. I've got to recognize that. And, he, and through his name, I have his authority and his life. And then, of course, as a joint heir with Christ and a son of God, I've got all of these rights and privileges. Amen? Which are defined by the great and precious promises that will detail what those rights are so that I can take my part of the divine nature as I need it. Amen? Alright. So what is the conclusion of the whole matter? The conclusion of the matter is simply this. You are righteous. Say I'm righteous. That means what? You're totally acceptable. Say, I'm totally acceptable. Say, all of God's nature is mine. Hallelujah. Christ is my righteousness. You know, I like that scripture that says, oh, this is in Hebrews chapter 2, around verse 8, 9, where it says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? And then it says, you put all things in subjection under him. All things you face under his power and under his authority. But then the next verse goes on to say, but it doesn't look that way. It doesn't look like if everything is under him. But then the other verse says, but we see Jesus. Mm -hmm. In other words, it doesn't look like if everything is underneath you, your power. But you know what? Look at Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because when you see Jesus, uh-huh, everything is underneath his authority. And as he is. So am I in this world. So I receive it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So you are righteous. You are accepted. God's nature is your nature. Christ himself is your righteousness. Hallelujah. You are one with him. His life, if you want to give me, his life is your life. His love is what? Your love. His Holiness is yours. His anointing is yours. His joy is yours. That's why it's called the joy of the Lord. His peace is yours. That's why it's called the peace of God. I know if you can receive this and you need to take it, his divine health is 
yours. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 means when it says Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He is my redemption. He is my divine health. I got no business being sick. Are you with me? Amen? Now I got to be establishing that sort of if sickness try to come, it doesn't get in. And if for any reason it get in, kick it out. But you need to know this. You know, I, 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 um, it's, a, it's a little bit off the record, but this has just been so much about just within the last little while. As I see people, as I see in families, I see this person having this disease and this person having this problem. And, 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 and I don't want to list it, list for the summer things that I let somebody out there hear something I'm saying. But I see all these things happening with folks. And in the meantime, this is what God has provided. And I've decided, I've made up my mind, and I've made that decision, right? That over the next year, I'm going to, I know there's some writing I need to do. There's a couple of three books I need to write, but I've decided I'm going to write this book here. I don't know what the name of it is. But it's something to the essence of divine healing. I like to say health, but divine healing, a weekly devotional, which means I only got the right trip to do, <laughs> and a how-to manual. How to do this. How do you do this? You know, we talk about, we talk about um, uh, Rome, Proverbs 4.22, the word is medicine and health to all your flesh. How do you do that? How can I take the word as medicine? To all your flesh means it doesn't matter what the problem is. Can you imagine if some scientist or some researcher came up with one pill and that one pill will heal arthritis, diabetes, um, it will heal heart problems, it will heal cancer, it will destroy the common cold and make it totally uncommon. <laughs> I mean, if you can get one pill, one, that will heal every disease known to the human race, every sickness and every disease, and you could develop such a pill. How rich would you be? Would it sell? But do you know that God has such a pill? It's called God's pill. And he says that if you walk upright in the God's pill, amen, that's what he says. I didn't write it. Check it out, Philippians 1, 27. To walk upright in the gospel. Hallelujah. <laughs> then your health will spring forth speedily. Glory to God. And you shall run and not be weary, and walk and not faith, and your skin will be like that of a baby. Hallelujah. And you will return to the days of your youth. Glory to God. Christ is your redemption. And then you know what happened in the midst of I mean, what does it look like to know that you're righteous? Oh, he's faithful and fearless. It means being bold like a lion. Bold like a lion. You can't intimidate the lion. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though. When you operate in that boldness of the lion, then it will become such a reality to you that you have the authority. You've got the keys. Mm. And you can tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I'm telling you, the gospel is not just good news. It's the best news there could ever be. There ain't no better news than this. Amen? It is great news. Hallelujah. Unto us a child is born and a son is given. And the government is on his shoulder. And that government, which is the kingdom of God, that ruled over all, is in you. And it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, fear not, little flock. It is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But not only that, I'm also going to give you the scepter of righteousness that will activate that kingdom. Hallelujah. Righteousness made simple. Amen? Amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but I receive it. <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Gifts. But if somebody come give you a gift and you don't receive it, will it benefit you? Hmm? And no matter how wonderful it is, if you don't receive it, it's not going to do you much good. Or if you just keep it wrapped up in that nice, wonderful, you know, at Christmas time, man, some people could come up with some beautiful paper wrapping. Oh, man, it's so pretty. And I mean, when they tie it up with a bow, and they put this little piece here, and they fold it nicely and neatly, man, you almost don't want to open it. <laughs> but it wouldn't do you any good. You've got to take off the wrapping, and you've got to receive the gift. Say, I receive the gift. I receive the gift of righteousness. I am acceptable in his sight. Without fault. Holy. Without reproach. I am bold to come before him. I am bold before the enemy. I am bold against any works of darkness. Because as Jesus is, so am I. Father, I thank you that your love is in me. I thank you that I am righteous. And by the power of your word, by the authority of truth, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you are teaching me and you will cause me to be established rooted and grounded in righteousness. My oneness with you. Father, I'm asking you, by the power of the blood, let my conscience be cleansed from every dead work, from any sense of separation, that I will live in this place of being in continual communion and oneness with you, no separation ever. I am awake to righteousness. I refuse any sense of separation. I'm one with you, and I receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Happy New Year 2020! Well, I just declare over you, let me declare this word. Isaiah 43 and verse 18. Glory to God. Verse 19. Okay, verse 18. Remember ye not the former, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing now, and it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So I declare unto you, behold, that God will do a new thing now. God will do a new thing now. Every moment of every day is, is always now. Say, I live in the now. You don't live in just now. <laughs> you live in the now, don't you? When, when the twenty come at 8 o'clock, you will be in that, that will be your now. Amen? Say, he does a new thing now. I expect new things in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray and I declare over this congregation, over everyone individually, I just declare a new thing being done in their life. I declare that even where there seems to be obstacles and hindrances, that you will make a way where there seems to be no way. For Jesus is the way. I declare, Lord God, that you are bringing them into perfect alignment with your purposes in the name of Jesus. And all that they need, whether they be resources or whether they be people, it is being added to them. For they are precious in your sight. And you have given all things just for their life. Just so that your purpose for them will and can be accomplished in the name of Jesus. So I call
call for the sufficiency of your grace. I call for divine provision. I call for divine favor to surround them as a shield all the year long in Jesus' name. I call, Father, for your grace to so abound, to so overflow in every aspect of their lives in the name of Jesus, that they will have the fulfillment of your promises and be the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath in the name of Jesus. Amen.